Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, this is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta, and you are listening to Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me is Jeff Warren. He is the co-author of Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. And I don't know about you, but I'm a fidgety skeptic. (laughs) So uh, he's a meditation instructor and a journalist. He's known for his dynamic and accessible style of teaching. I actually ran into him in the parking lot when I was at the Art of Living Retreat Center doing Soul Treat and talked him into coming on to this show. He's the he's the co-author of the New York Times bestselling meditation for fidgety skeptics and uh, author of The Head Trip, a travel guide for sleeping, dreaming, and waking, and the founder of the Consciousness Explorers Club, a nonprofit meditation adventure group based in Toronto, Canada. He is the co-host of the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Yes, you heard podcast, right? So you can find that at explorers.fm, which explores the mystery of being human through practice. His mission is to empower people to care for their mental health through the realistic, intelligent, and sometimes irreverent, yay, we love irreverent here, exploration of meditation and personal growth practices. His meditations reach millions of people through the 10% Happier and Calm apps. Welcome, Jeff. I'm excited to have you. Well, Kelly, thank you for having me. I'm excited too. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, how did you get into teaching meditation? What, What brought you here? Well, sort of, I guess, uh, it was an indirect route. It was never something that was on my radar. Um, 
I was a dysregulated journalist uh, with deadlines, and I was working for the CBC. Uh, I was a radio journalist. Um, I was very interested in kind of covering stuff around the brain. And I guess I was interested in mental health without really realizing that I was sort of the subject of what I was interested in, that I was having my problems myself. So I kind of got interested in journalistically. And I wrote a book about consciousness and how it works kind of from the Venn diagram between the objective brain activity and subjective experience. Like, what could we learn in that space? And that was sort of through that, I was did a lot of research into meditation. I started doing it myself. And then I just realized, wow, this is um, really what I need. This is the medicine for me. And I just got very deep into practice and kind of went crazy with it. And eventually, eventually had a teacher who really just encouraged me to share what I was learning. And he thought I had a particular knack for it. And um, that was, you know, 12 years ago now. And so I started to, and uh, it's been pretty interesting adventure. I mean, I, I was very, I didn't want to at first because I thought, who am I to ever teach meditation? I have all these mental health challenges. I have an ADHD diagnosis. I have a bipolar diagnosis. Like I felt like the avatar of mental unhealth, <laughs> the anti-Buddha. And uh, But I guess it turns out that your capacity to be honest about where you are and the things I've learned to, uh, uh, to the ways I've learned, I've had to learn how to do meditation based on who I am actually turn out to be lessons and um, insights that are relevant to a lot of people. So it's been a, uh, turned out to be a good, pretty good fit, I guess. <laughs> the teaching part, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say that I ran into a lot of your students at that retreat and, and spoke with them at mealtimes, and they all spoke very highly of you. So, so clearly you are a good instructor because they were, they were very happy. I tell lots then, of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, baby. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was most interesting is that typically in our industry, the average attendee at different events is usually women. And, you know, it's, it's typically 70, 76% women and white women in particular. Um, and your group was a diverse group of men. I don't think I saw a single woman. Oh, it's usually about half and half. <laughs> Is it? There were quite okay, a few women. Well, maybe I was just like, yeah, I was just but a lot of dudes, those were at our event. So <laughs> we were both on the same space at the same time. So, but yeah, that's a, that's a huge differential. And what do you attribute that to? Uh, well, yeah, I think it's because of my science background. Um, and just my approach to teaching practice is, uh, it's very much about, uh, kind of, Speaking in a trying to speak in a very grounded, um, accessible way about um, simple, the simple like explaining uh, the mind in terms of the simple kind of engineering like dynamics. Like there are certain f simple practical rules around working with the mind that you can kind of learn, and it's like I think laying it out like that makes it seem less airy fairy to use the term that a lot of I hear a lot from people saying you don't do it like this, but just more kind of uh, more engineering, more practical, more. And that just appeals to a, a kind of masculine temperament. And also, I do know about the science, so I can say a little bit about sometimes where relevant about where, where certain findings are And that. Of course, in our culture, science is the great sort of authority uh, that brings a lot of people in. Now, I have different thoughts on that, but I think that uh, you got to use the language that is going to 
meet people where they are. And that's kind of what I'm interested in. Like, how do I reach the largest number of people? So, yeah. Awesome. So talk to us a little bit about that. How Talk to me about how does uh, meditation and science, how, where do they overlap and how do you talk about it from that angle? I mean, my primary focus now is in trying to present subjective experience in a rigorous way, like akin to a kind of scientific way. So when I started out, I would be more, I would refer to specific kind of uh, findings within science, say about the default mode network or about like um, the way it, it increases regulation, seems to create increase re- emotional regulation and people were comforted by that. But as I got deeper into it, I realized that, how do I explain this? Uh, well, you'll get it. Uh, you know, we don't live in the brain. We live in experience. We live inside our our feelings, our thoughts, you know, our sensations. Like that's the domain in which we live. And and so although the science can be a helpful way to begin to give make give people a certain amount of confidence that this that there is, you know, a third person perspective on this that seems to be to be uh supported by researchers, really what they want to know is how to work in real time with their experience right now. And there are certain kinds of um, operating principles and certain skills that cultivate through, through practice that you can talk about in a quite rigorous way. And then it's like people start to get their hands on the levers. You know what I mean? Like they can actually or put their hands on the dials. They feel like they can actually um, palpably begin to watch in real time how mind's playing out. And so that's what I, so that ends up being really the focus for me. So I go into, I teach about how concentration works. I teach how equanimity works. I teach the, how the clarity piece works, the compassion piece. I, I, I talk about how to find it in the moment, what it looks like and where to, and what is realistic in terms of how to maintain those things outside of a practice. And so it's just, it's, it's, I think the structure of that framework feels reassuring for people. And that's kind of how I go about it. So I, I listen to the morphic field of my listeners as people are talking. And uh, what happened was when you said clarity, they went, Ooh, how does clarity work? <laughs> so can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, it is a really interesting one. Clarity and equanimity are just like magic. Um, well, then talk about them both. Let's yeah, talk about them both. sure. I'll talk about them both. I mean, uh, they're, and they're related. Um, so, uh, Okay. Uh, where to even begin? <laughs> this is a big, but clarity gets cultivated in all kinds of different practices. Uh, it could be sensory clarity, where you're just getting more curious about um, about zooming into ec- your external senses and smelling things, like seeing things more crisply and hearing things more crisply and detecting more nuances in smell. I mean, so there's that part of clarity. There's getting clear about the internal world. So both are where we, how we experience thoughts, the auditory quality of thoughts, like whose thoughts are they in terms of the auditory? Is it our voice or someone else's voice? You know, I know you know that this, that there's a lot that goes on in the inner world, like our emotions, where do we experience emotions? Can we get more literate about the specifics of it? Can we, and then can we zoom in on some of these more spiritual phenomena that might be happening in experience, like learning to trust your inner voice? Like that's doesn't necessarily, it's not, it, it doesn't hit you over the head the way your, your loud cognition does. It's a quieter space that comes sort of through the heart. And so tuning into those things. So clarity is like, is like boosting the resolution on these subtle signals. Clarity is also getting clear about what practices in my life are supporting me. When I get humble and I let myself just be here, what 
what's coming, what are the lessons that are coming forward? And can I be clear enough to notice them? So now you're from clarity, you're moving into equanimity, which is the, this thing about getting out of your own way, this thing about being humble and genuinely inexperienced, not trying to push and pull on it, but letting the natural flow of reality present itself to you and being part of that natural flow of reality. So both those skills, the, the boosting the resolution and the kind of surrender to the flow of reality, they're literally things you could find. I could show you how to find them in this moment. You're probably already doing it a bit. As soon as I start talking about the surrender piece, that's going to start to like kind of people will start to notice, oh yeah, I can do that a little bit, or they'll be doing it on their own anyway. Or like you can start to find it and there's a kind of internal letting go that allows you to kind of, I don't know, allows the world to update itself through you, I guess you could say. So those are, and then the more that equanimity happens, the more you get out of your own way, the more the the world will surprise you with what it's going to bring forward as everyone I'm sure on your podcast knows. And that's wonderful, you know, and I think also the part of the equanimity is the equanimity with not knowing, the don't know mind, the not needing to have front load your understanding of reality with all these models. I mean, they can be helpful as views to point us in different directions, but to also know how to let go of these things and just stay in this humble space of not knowing. That is a very powerful, receptive place to be. And so um, in different times, in different ways, I'll, I'll point to those skills and and they like the applications are almost unlimited and it's just so I think so interesting. Well, so, you know, I, I'm going to out my listeners for a minute here. They're, we're, they're all control freaks. I know because I'm a recovering control freak myself. And so, you know, we all resonate together. So the letting go piece is not always the easiest. No, it's the hardest. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that for them? Because I know they're going, oh, yeah, letting go. Like, that's so easy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, compassion, because it is very hard. We don't even know the ways we're fixated, all the ways we're trying to micromanage and control our reality from moment to moment. You know, it's, we do this because we've had experiences of not being safe in the world or not being, um, not trusting that it's okay just to, just to be. So we've had to learn to, um, develop these compensatory sort of habits. And so the, you know, the first thing to say is when, we're talking about letting go, we're not saying abandoning all those strategies. It has much more to do with um, holding them lightly. It has to do with, because if you're only ever holding on for dear life, it's like a clenched fist. After a while, you don't know how to unclench the fist. You don't even realize you have a clenched fist, but that clenched fist is preventing you from, from your open hand, from receiving all kinds of support or all kinds of things that can come in. So, so, this is why it's so valuable. How do you do it? And that's what a practice is. <laughs> Meditation is literally the practice of this. It's sitting. And at first, you the way you practice doing it, and everyone can try doing it with me right now, is you just sort of make a, a, a kind of a intention inside the meditation of letting everything be here. So letting the sounds be here around you, even if there's neighbors loud next door or things you might ideally wish weren't there, or or maybe my voice, you wish it was a little more quiet, but it is what it is. Reality is presenting what it's presenting. So can you just kind of loosen inside and stop bracing against 
sounds you don't like and in the same spirit stop bracing against thoughts you don't like or feelings? Can you just kind of soften through the whole front of the body and just be like this open porous in this open porous place to let everything sort of express itself through you? And you start to learn through practice what that little adjustment feels like that, oh, this is subtle, but I can kind of see what he's saying. I do this. Here's a vivid example. Imagine you're in the shower and it's no problem when there's the warm water. It's all warm. Your pores are open. You're relaxed. But it, you're, it, the hot water is about to run out. As the cold water arrives, most of us tighten up as a way to protect ourselves against the cold. But you can do the opposite. You can s- breathe out and soften through the whole body and just absorb the cold. Let it be there without resistance. And actually, you can stay much longer in the cold when you do that. That's what all those cold plunge techniques will show you. They're all, they're all around cultivating a kind of open equanimity with it. So whatever you did just there in your imaginations or in your body to kind of open to the sensation of cold or to open to the message of what I'm saying, the, the sensory experience of this sound wave, that's equanimity. And you just do it again and again and again through practice. And as the clarity builds too, you start to notice all these tightened layers of control and they start to let go one by one. It's like sometimes you're able to kind of almost do it, even though it's not really a doing, it's kind of an undoing. Other times it just happens spontaneously. And the more it happens, the more the, and what is it? The prajnia, the wisdom function, the, the, the more you're able to kind of channel what wants to come through. Um, now there's also, you don't want to complete, there's also, there's a, di, there's a di- dialectic here between the value of also still being present, deciding when is enough, you know, that, that frontal lobe or that editor function is still useful. So it's not like, it's not like surrender, surrender, let go, let go all the time. Sometimes there's a place for bearing down, for putting up a boundary for, you know, so, but practice is the cultivation, you could say, of becoming your own authority in all this, your own teacher, knowing what you need at different times and what will serve you. Um, so I don't even know what I said there, but hopefully it was, um, <laughs> it applied to what you asked me. <laughs> Cause you never know. Cause I just let go too. I just, just go, I let go and go, okay, well, what, what wants to come through? And then there's often a self-organizing kind of, um, you know, uh, observation of some kind that just sort of lands. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's the equivalent of saying that you're channeling. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. It's the, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. A, a friend of mine was recently on a podcast with me and she, she was listening to it before she caught on with me and she texted me and said, well, shit, you're just channeling all of this all the time, aren't you? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> She's just like, well, like, people think I know all this stuff, but no, I'm just, I'm just you know, tapping in and I'm connected and, you know, some of the stuff I knew and some of it, I'm just like going, Oh yeah, it's like this, you know? Totally. It's and, creativity. And, you know, yeah. That's what it's, creativity it's a, is too. Yeah. It's a connection into, to the higher self, into your spirit guides, into the all that is. And, and, you know, where we get the information is where we tap in. Right. So it's like if you ask a question, the, the quest, the quality of the question you ask will determine the quality of the answer that you get. Right. And that's that's one of those things that I talk to my students about all the time. I'm like, OK, if you're going to ask a question, ask a good one. 
right? Don't just say yes or no questions because that gives you very little information. Always ask a who, what, where, when, why, right? And preferably, you know, a why or a what question because who and when are pretty much short answers. I want long answers. Yeah, right? interesting. So it's interesting you know, to me that you're, I looked at your podcast thing, little description and, um, you know, s- spirits and entities and um, ancestors and um, uh, all the internal, all these rich kind of persona and characters in the internal world and maybe in the external world too. And, um, I find that really fascinating, you know, like through my meditation teaching, I, I would say that I, I get a big slice of regular humanity. Um, and that's kind of, I like that. I like kind of working at the wide end of the funnel, you know, the regular folks and of the regular, the, those folks, I would say maybe 15% would be, would have those kinds of experiences that you're, you're, you're talking about. Um, which is really interesting. And they're, they're of course really rich, you know, so interesting, those experiences. Um, but they're not something most people have, or, or rather maybe more accurate of putting it is they may be having them, but they're not aware they're having them, you know, whereas the, the 15% are either is they're happening in a dramatic way or they've learned to tune into these sort of subtle registers. So, so, um, and this is, and this, so it's something I've had to learn to do as a meditation teacher is I think often at the beginning of, uh, what, if you're trying to teach meditation to regular folk, to anybody, regular person up the street, they often have this idea that it's about that, all the strange phenomena that can happen. Um, and, and that's part of the reasons that they're intimidated by it or they don't feel they can relate to it. So, uh, I, I've had to learn to kind of teach it without, you know, in this much more general way without, and then if I do talk about that stuff, I just say, Hey, this is a, this, this material can also happen and here are ways to work with it. And there's actually, it's a whole path in and of itself. And, um, so I guess I'm kind of curious how you think about these, the, this phenomena that you discuss on your podcast about, um, how widely accessible it is and, um, and what it, you know, and when you, and if they, if it is there and you do have these things, what's the best way to approach working? I mean, there's so much you, you could ask about it, but anything that comes up from that. Well, so it's, it's a great question. Um, I personally believe that almost anyone can develop psychic skills. Hmm. And, uh, the, the biggest challenge is that a lot of people are scared of them. And I know this because. When I was back when I was dating and I was dating for 16 years, I would, uh, I would tell people I was a psychic, which I never did in the first date because they always said, Oh, read me, which of course bad, bad. If you're, if you're a psychic out there listening and your date asks you on a first date to read them, don't do it. It, 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 it exposes them too much. You'll never get a second date. And so, um, but you know, this is, this is the thing is that people would either be like, Oh, read me or they'd be like, Oh. Right. And, and they were afraid and, and inherently everybody's afraid that you're going to tell them they're, they're going to die. That's always the fear. And if they're afraid of thinking somebody else who's psychic is going to tell them that they're going to die, they're afraid that if they tap into their psychic abilities, they're going to see that they're going to die or that somebody they love is going to die. That's, that's the inherent imprint that everybody's terrified of. And so uh, that gets in a lot, in a lot of people's ways. And then they're also afraid of the ghosts, 
It's like, I keep trying to explain to people that, that the astral world is no different than the physical world in the fact that there are good people and not so great people. And there are helpful people and people who don't really want to help you. And all you, you know, just like when you walk into a new city, you have to figure out what the good parts of town are and the not so great parts of town are so that you know where you can go to be relatively safe to do the work that you want to do in that space. Right. And that, you know, that is the nature of this reality. And, you know, we're living in duality. We have a balance of, of what we would call good and bad or good and evil or whatever it is that you want to call it, right? Um, within this context, we have a wide var- variety of experience. And that's true whether you're in the physical world or whether you're in the energetic world. And, and so, you know, I think the problem is, is that people don't have a perspective on what the astral world is. They don't know how to identify if something is messing with them or how to protect themselves if they do. And so they get scared and they just shut it down. They're like, nope, I'm out. And so I think it's about normalizing the experience for people. It's about explaining to them what I just said. You know, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, you don't walk into a biker bar, (laughs) you know, and start shooting your mouth off. You just don't do it, right? You don't walk up to, to scary looking people and mess with them. It's a bad idea, right? But you know, you can walk in and you know, uh, on the other end of things, you don't walk into a really nice restaurant and start screaming at the top of your lungs, right? You know, it's just, it's, it's the appropriate behavior for the appropriate environment, right? And so that's what we're talking about on the astral at the, at the same time. It's like, you know, if you're going to go into a person of power, which on the astral would be, if you're going to talk to a deity or a, a, a demigod or, you know, an elemental or somebody who's powerful, you go in with the appropriate amount of deference, right? An appropriate amount of respect. It, it's the same thing here, you know? It, it's not different, but people, because they're not familiar with the environment, they think it is. Um, now, there are some things that are vastly different, okay? The, what you think matters. You know, the, the thoughts in your head matter on the astral because those are what you're communicating with. And so they can leak out even if you don't mean them to. The way that you phrase things matters. The way that you set your intentions matters. What you think about yourself matters because that determines how well you can protect yourself or not on the on the astral so there's a lot of pieces in there that do matter that don't matter as as much here or aren't as evident i should say they do matter in the physical they just aren't as evident so yeah see that's a bit overwhelming to me um i had when i used to do a lot of ayahuasca i started to get uh the the things got very porous you know like the during the ceremonies of course you're interacting with entities and spirits and it's like really a lot going on it can be quite overwhelming but then afterwards and uh for a few years like as i was falling asleep i kept hearing voices talk to me and like and it was like i it was a lot and i just at that point i'm just trying to figure out how to manage the external world, <laughs> the regular world of like, you know, humans I can touch and all those things. And I found it was, um, for me, it was, I need, I just basically closed up, uh, in that way. Cause I just didn't want to develop any more of those sensitivities. Cause I had to figure out what was going on over here first. Not that I'm, I think some people don't have a, an option to, but it just seems like a whole other level of, 
um, of stuff to have to get used to. And so I was like, if I didn't have to do it, I wasn't going to, but I was still, it doesn't mean I wasn't interested. Yeah, yeah it absolutely is. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons why I tell people not to do ayahuasca until they have done the first two stages of healing, which is to find their emotional safety first and then to solidify their sense of self, right? To be able to set their boundaries and, you know, claim their space and own their power and, you know, know who they are in, in a solid way. And that solidifies their energetic container. And so when you do those two pieces, then you're ready, ready to do the shadow work. And that's what ayahuasca is good for, is for helping with the shadow work if, the, if that's the path you want to take. But if you skip over those first two steps, then you end up in a space like you were in where you're just overwhelmed and you, you the, the the spaces that are opened for you are too much, right? And that's what happens. I, uh, I totally concur with that. Uh, I guess the thing is, how do you know that you've successfully done those first two? <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, how do you know that you've got a, that you've individuated enough and got a solid enough sense of self? Like you might have the subjective experience that you do, but it's never, and it's all, it's never going to be perfect, you know? So, um, you know, there's doing your due diligence and then there's also just a certain amount of just grace involved. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I recently wrote a book about that. So <laughs> there you go. It's a, it's a good indicator, but you're right. There's no hard and fast rule. And in fact, you know, I talked to my students, I, I was talking to my advanced students earlier today, actually. And actually two different of my advanced students, I sent back to materials that they had worked with a year or two earlier and said, you know, go back and reference this again, go back and reference that again, go back and look at this because, you know, these are, these are coming back around. So, you know, we have this concept in the Western world that, you know, things are like goals. It's like, it's one and done. Right. And so, you know, you get this done, you get that done, you get that done, boom, done. You can put it away. In the spiritual world, it doesn't work like that. In the spiritual world, it's a spiral. And you come back to these issues over and over and over again, and these practices over and over and over again, because that's what we do. And so it's it's an unrealistic, yeah, it's unrealistic to expect that you get to be done, right? Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, meditation is exactly the same. It's meditation is life practice. You're always, it's the same insight again and again and again and again. You're having it ever deeper levels. Exactly. Like you said, it's a spiral. Uh, it's the, the insight is, you know, it's all, it's the same thing of getting over yourself, realizing that you're in your ego is running the show, backing up, letting that kind of unhook, resting in a wider, more spacious kind of non-identity and then it takes over again and then there's another and then there's an unhooking again it just happens deeper and deeper and you get more and more subtle about all the different ways in which you're actually not really being present and you're actually subtly you know deluded or you're um biased or confused about things and um but you're it just goes on forever you know you could there's no getting to the end of that and then there's and also there's no getting to the end of the learning how to live that, how to live from this more authentic place. It's just going to keep going. You know, maybe it's up for somebody, some super guru <laughs> on a mountain. They got to a point, but I just don't believe it because the, because mind body is constantly, environment's always changing. It's constantly changing, developing, like to be in life is to be part of this process of continuous, continuous change and adaptation. And, um, so 
This is how it goes. Well, you know, one of my favorite authors, Richard Bach, who wrote Illusions, The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's my favorite book. Uh, and and there's it's a book within a book. And the Messiah's Handbook inside of this book says, uh, if you want a quick test to know if your work here on the planet is done, here here's the test. If you're still here, you're not done. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Mm. I'm like, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Love that. So, you That's know, brilliant. <laughs> the sooner we let go, I, I tell my students all the time, the sooner you let go of the goal, the better off you're going to be in spiritual practice because... That's yeah. the equanimity. It's just what I was yeah. trying to point it's to just earlier. Like, just be present, you know, be present to what's here and let it be, you know. But I loved it when you said, hold it lightly, because I use that phrase all the time. I'm like, just, just hold it lightly. You can have it. You can be aware of it, but just don't attach to it. Just, just, you know, have it in your hand with your hand open, you know, <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's kind of where it is. So I knew when I, you know, it was so funny because we were on that, that, uh, land together and, and I saw all your people going up into your, your presentation and I was like, I, I asked him about you and, you know, what was going on because I felt the resonance and I was just like, oh, I need to meet him. I need to meet him. And I just set that intention. And then one day I'm like walking up to my car and there you are. And I'm like, that's him. I know it's him. And I walked up and said hi. And you were like, hey. And I'm like, you know, we started talking. I was like, yep, I knew it was you. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's so cool to be plugged into the, those intuitions in that way and to feel like you have a a guide that you can trust that you consult and it's wonderful uh, i mean i guess i kind of have that in terms of my internal radar around things but i so i kind of see it as like reality is my guide or something um but to have actual have it populated with different characters and energies and it just creates a very rich inner world and uh um it's interesting to hear you talk about yeah. it yeah, well, and and my uh, my guides are like, yeah, your quote unquote reality that you're tapped into is your guides. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I figured, I figured. <laughs> I do do that at the beginning of my my meditation practice. I say, I ask for the presence and action of my holy guardian angels. Someone told me that ages ago, and. I don't necessarily tell this to my like sober secular meditation, like science meditation students, but inside, I'm just saying, hey. It's sort of like being humble and asking for support wherever it comes. And I have no doubt that reality is just richly, you know, elaborated into these. And, and I, of course, what, how, how could it not be like that? So I just, you know, I feel uh, I do feel a lot of gr gratitude for whoever is out there looking out for me. Well, and and so I want to I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a gift here in the process, which is your guardian angel is one of many guides. And so mm. your guardian angel is mostly there just to make sure you don't step off of a, you know, curb in front of a bus. But, uh, you know, mm. there are many other guides that are there to serve other purposes and they come and go over the course of your life sometimes. And sometimes they're there for your whole life. Some, some mm. show up for a day or an hour. Others show up for a lifetime and, you know, anywhere in between. And, uh, you know, when you, tap into them and angels in particular, you have to ask for advice. You have to ask for their help on an ongoing basis uh, in order to get it. Although guardian angels are sort of the exception. They're always there to be guardians, but uh, other angels must be asked regularly 
Like you can't just by name or something, or need to say, Hey, I could really use some help right about now, which I do. Yeah, do. Which you can do. You don't have to name them, but you, you can say angels, you know, can you do this for me? But you can't task them for like a month. You know, you can't say over oh, a month, you have to say, Hey, can you help me right now? Can you help me today? Can you be with me for this short period of time? You can't give them an ongoing task unless you're asking on the, on the regular. So, um, you know, there's, there's, they're sort of short attention span the, the beings, right? <laughs> maybe the angels. angels yeah. <laughs> See, so maybe you're part angel. <laughs> I had, I had what if ADHD me just means that you're part angel, right? That'd be pretty <laughs> sweet. There is something angelic about a lot of ADHD folks that I meet. And, you know, the refreshment. They're just like, boing, 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 back to the... Because you know, they just can't stay concentrated. So they're always coming, being refreshed by the present. Yeah. So can you, um, are you able to, like, when you're talking to people, do you tune in to, can you find out, like, how many angels and guides they have around them at a particular moment? Is that something that, or is that only, we can only do that for ourselves? No, you can absolutely do that for other people. Um, I mean, you've got a whole host of people, you know minute you said that there were like 20, 30 people who showed up behind you. And, and they, they say that there's a lot more that show up when you do your big events. So they're there to support the room. And so they, they help with the space. So yeah, they, they're, there's like this whole army of them. Army is a bad word. It's not the right word for it, but you know, there's a contingent that shows up, right? Accounts contingent right? of, uh, of celestial, uh, some celestial huggers, some, movers, shakers, some celestials, some guides, some, you know, other beings, mm. you know, all sorts of different mm. beings show up. So, wow. Yeah. Well, and I feel myself to be in good company. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, well, this has been really fascinating is uh, I'm going to ask you. So usually at the end of the episodes, when I had my co-host who is, who is, uh, resigned uh, after three and a half years and I'm now interviewing new co-hosts. But um, one of the things he and I would do was ask for a Kellyism at the end of the episode that just sort of was a thought for the day. And I'm going to ask you to do that today. I'm going to ask you to just sort of tap in and, and tell our listeners whatever comes through for you that you feel like they need to hear. Well, I, I, my favorite, what's coming through for me is the community is the teacher. That's kind of a huge principle in my life and in my teaching. And um, it's not creating a hierarchy out of, um, you know, the, the idea of teacher, but being open to seeing how it's happening all around us. And there's all in all these different parts of the world are here to support us and we're here to support them. And uh, and also means learning from other people's insights and um, having a kind of community space where you can listen to someone talk about a mental health challenge and the way they're articulating it makes you realize you have that same challenge and the way they met it ends up becoming a solution for you. And so distributing the learning through one big nervous system, that would be my, that would be my takeaway. I think there's nothing more important in life. That's very cool because that actually layers upon layers upon layers, right? Because you, that works in community. It works with the earth. It works with atoms. It works with, I mean, it works all the way up and down, right? Just fantastic. So thank you for that. I'm, I'm enjoying that, that energy. Um, so if our listeners want to learn how to meditate with you, how would they do that? 
Uh, well, I do a free thing every uh, Sunday night called the Do Nothing Project, where I just sit in community with a whole bunch of people from all around the world. And I just guide a very simple sort of 20 minute practice, 25 minute practice. It's not like a place of like dropping wisdom or trying to be special. The whole point is to be, it's just very simple, ordinary practice of being in community with other people. And that's um, called the Do Nothing Project. And that's on YouTube. I have a website, jeffhorn.org, where you can find out some of those different things. I'm on the Calm app and 10% Happier app. My podcast, the Consciousness Explorers podcast, which I do with my friend Tasha, that is all about exploring fun practices from different modalities and and doing them together, like actually doing a practice and then unpacking it. Uh, what's happening? What are we learning here about being human? And So that would be another way, I think. And and then I have my nonprofit, the Consciousness Explorers Club. They do uh, basically free things every Monday night, or you can support through Patreon and all different teachers, different kinds of practices and there's a, a community activation kit there around how to start your own community practice group if you're interested. So those are some some things. That's, that's yeah. a lot of really cool stuff. So in case you missed it, we will put them in the show notes. <laughs> so uh, don't panic if it, if it went by too fast. We'll get those in the show notes for you. And thank you so much for coming. I, it was so great to make this transition from random meeting to, well, from my intention to to our, our intentional meeting on my part to... Uh, Totally. Yeah, so great. Great to meet you, Kelly. I'm so glad that that all happened and we got to hang yeah. out here. <laughs> and nice to meet all of your all of your listeners. And I hope I just wish everybody this well. Is, this has been awesome. Thank you for being here, Jeff. So that's all we have for this week. Tune in next time when I share another episode on energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Kelly Sparta here with Jeff Warren, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car, I'm all alone But feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.